Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. Glad that you're here this morning. My name is Brent, and uh, it's great to be back with you. Had a couple of weeks off, and uh, today we are kicking off a brand new series called Remembering Rightly. It's going to be a four-part series on uh, memory. If you're a guest with us, uh, you picked a great day to come check us out because we are at the very beginning of a series. I want to start off by talking about what kind of memory I'm talking about because uh, that can go a couple of different ways on there. Um, <clears throat> so my dad uh, is now 62 years old, and uh, that makes my grandpa like somewhere in his mid-80s. My grandpa lives over on the west side, uh, Spanaway area, Tacoma um, kind of area, and uh, Every once in a while throughout the summer, he will ask my dad to come over. And when he sh- my dad shows up, he's got his, because he, my grandpa's getting to the point where he can't, you know, do a bunch of stuff around the house. So he always has a to-do list for my dad. And one of those things on the to-do list is always to go up on the roof and scrape off the moss because they have like a moss problem over there because, you know, we, we've, I've never seen moss. I don't even know what it looks like, but <laughs> apparently it's green and grows because of rain. So uh, over there, scrape it off and then uh, clean out the gutters. And my dad's always like, my, my grandpa's obsessed with his gutters, wants them to be spotless. And, so, and, my, and my dad's always like, dude, whenever I go up there, there's almost nothing in those things. He goes, but if I come down and I say they're, they're clean, he's like, no, you didn't look hard enough. Go back up and try it again, right? Because that's my grandpa. And uh, so my dad says he'll take the little leaf blower up there and just turn it on for like a half hour and just kind of just, like, just look on his phone while he's doing this uh, and then turns it off. And then my grandpa's like, oh, good. They're very, very clean. I can tell. Um, yeah, very clean. So anyways, so my dad, uh, so he, he, my grandpa has this, has a list for him and he called him up the other day and he said, hey, when, when are you coming over next? Because I, I got a list. So you're going to put you on the roof and you know, clean up my gutters. And my dad goes, I'm coming over next Friday. So, okay, okay, we talk, you know, like that, right? So then uh, like two days later, my dad calls him up because I think they talk almost every day. And uh, uh, my grandpa proceeded to tell him about how he needed his gutters cleaned again, and when are you coming over? And my dad's like, we talked about this. I'm coming over next Friday. And oh, yeah, okay, okay, all right. And then again, the following day, they, so, my, so my dad comes to me, and he's complaining to me, and he's like, I just, he's not remembering that we talked about this. Like, we just talked about this. And I said, I know, Grandpa's getting that age, right? So, so then, like, the next day, my dad calls me up, and he's like, talk to Grandpa today. And I said, oh, yeah, what did he say this time? And he goes, yeah, he asked me when I'm coming over. I told him, we just talked about this. So we just talked about this. How did you not catch on? And I'm, I'm thinking to my dad, we just talked about this. <laughs> well, he's trying to tell me this as if I'm learning for the first time that grandpa's kind of losing it. And I'm going, dad, uh, and, and I'm, I'm catching this now more often because now my dad will say stuff like, have I told you about this already that grandpa hasn't, you know, wants me to get up on the gutters and do the whole thing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, we've, uh, we've talked about that before. And I think he's starting to catch it, and he's like, so now he's gotten to the point where he prefaces all of it with, I've probably already told you this, but Grandpa and I talked today, and I'm always like, oh, yeah, what do you say? You know, I have to, like, play dumb on this thing. That's not the kind of memory that we're talking about for this series. Uh, I'm just letting you in on a little bit about what I'm going through in life currently. So this series is about a different sort of memory. Um, It's about the kind of memory that comes when uh, we uh, can look back in our lives and point to things where somebody or something happened to us, 
it caused us some pain and suffering, and we have not, we, we either choose not to let go, we choose to, to relive it, or there are things that remind us about it, there's, there's conversations that we have that spark reminders of it, uh, we are trying to aggressively forget it, or passively it comes at us, and we're not, we're not like actively remembering it, but like things will happen, and that just like reinforces this, and be like, oh gosh, and, and there, there's all kinds of things in our past, we would call them like emotional baggage, something that we're going through, something that has shaped us, and Here's the thing about these types of events. They can either shape us in the positive, right? We all know people who have had something tragic happen to them uh, and they decided at some point that they are gonna move past this, beyond this. You're gonna use this as a story that inspires them to, to do good things, uh, inspires them to uh, start foundations that make sure that this kind of abuse or this kind of thing doesn't happen to other people. Uh, and then we also know people, we also know friends who these kinds of memories are debilitating to them. They're literally paralyzing. Uh, they have this, this area in their life where they're really healthy in so many different areas. And then this one thing that just feels like they just haven't grown past it. There's like an immaturity about this. Uh, they seem to be a very, very socially adept at, at all kinds of different things, but then in this one relationship with their parents or with this friend or with this family member or this ex or something like that where, um, wow, you're so mature in this area, and yet in this area, it feels like you're 14 again and like the teenage drama that's involved in this, and we're not able to kind of get past this, and you're not growing from this, and it's, again, it's debilitating, and it's not inspiring, it's, it's hurtful for us. And so there's all kinds of different ways in which we deal with the baggage of something uh, that we are trying to get past or get through or use it to inspire us to do better in life. That's the kind of memory that, I'm talk- that I wanna talk about. That sort of a memory uh, is important for us to deal with. Now, there's a prayer written by a guy named David. It's an Old Testament, uh, comes from an Old Testament book, one of the Psalms. Um, the Psalms are what, what we play uh, during, in between some of the two different songs that we sing as a part of that, like one of the Psalms will be read. And in it, there's a prayer that he writes. David's probably a familiar character for you, even if you didn't really grow up in a religious scenario, you know King David. Um, he says a prayer that I think has resonated with us and we've kind of like rewritten it in our own words from like for generations. In our 20s and 30s, this has been a prayer for us as we reflect back on uh, an adolescence uh, and then a college life uh, and then kind of like an early 20s kind of life where we probably did some really dumb things and uh, then, we, then we like come to grips with this and we, um, we try and make amends uh, both with our parents who were like, sorry that I was a jerk, uh, with our future spouse, sorry that I made all these bad decisions, uh, and then uh, even with ourselves or, or, and then ultimately with God. And this is the prayer. Here, here's what he says. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Oh God, do not remember what I did as a teenager. Like just, there was a couple of years there. If you could just like selective amnesia on those areas, that would be great. According to your steadfast love, not according to what I did, but according to your, st- I, want, I want you to see me through the baseline of your grace and your love, not through the baseline of the ramifications and the consequences of my actions. Let that be kind of a side thing. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Because see, God, there was this like this time, there was like this window of my life, this like this season, this stretch, this decade of my life. See what I did there? It just kind of expands as our prayer expands to him, where we look at it and be like, I did some really dumb things. Now here's the deal. I was 16, I was 17, I was 18. And then we find out like the science like backs us up, like our prefrontal cortex that doesn't develop until we're 26. 
brains aren't fully cooked until then. And so we're like, see, the problem is I wasn't like firing on all synapses here, right? This is our excuse as to why we think Hannah chose Jed in The Bachelorette this week. She's only 24, right? It's not quite, she was unable to see all the red flags and how it'd be like, I mean, we all see this. How do you not see this? Oh, she's 24, right? Forgive us the sins of our youth. We weren't quite there yet mentally. We, we failed to uh, see the consequences of our actions. We made decisions based on, you know, Pitbull's telling us we only have one night to live. So therefore make whatever, you know, spend your rent money, do this. And I don't even think about how that's gonna affect me long-term. I'm gonna live it up. I'm gonna live on 105% of my income because who cares about saving retirement? Who needs to retire? You at 60 need to retire or 70 or something. At some point you need to retire, but at 30, it doesn't feel like it, right? So in those moments, we've made poor decisions uh, in that way. And so we all have cried out the same thing that, that, uh, that David had cried out at one point. God, forgive us the sins of our youth. We just, uh, you know, judge us not based on our actions, judge us based on your grace and your love in that way. So if that's true, and if we've ever done that, prayed that prayer, thought that, and whether or not we're religious, maybe you didn't do that with, uh, with God, but you did that with your parents. You came to them at a later age and be like, listen, I was a jerk, like forgive me from 14 to 18 or 21 or 30 or whatever the age group, you know, age, uh, group is or whatever, like I apologize, you did a good job raising me, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a teenager, I, uh, I, I did some really dumb stuff in that way. What would it mean, this is the question then, if we want that from our parents, if we want that from uh, like, uh, you know, uh, college admissions people who are kind of looking at our resume and looking at our life decisions or whatever, if we want that from a f- potential spouse, if we're like, hey, I'm gonna tell you about my past, but please don't hold it against me because I was only 18 at the time, right? If we want this from ultimately God, then it would make sense for us to ask this question, I think, if, if we're religious. What would it mean for me to remember those who have wronged me in the same way that I pray to God to remember me in my own wrongdoing? If I want you, God, or you, mom and dad, or you, future spouse, to look at me with a little bit of grace and understanding in that way, am I willing to kind of pay that forward to the people who have wronged me? Or do I think in terms of my own terms for what they did to me, their wrongdoing to me, their pain, their hurt, their whatever, the thing that they caused me to go through, um, that feels different. It feels like I'm owed something. It feels like restitution still has not been met even after all these years. It still feels like I got hosed and therefore you are completely in the wrong and I don't owe you anything or whatever. And we would say, I want to, uh, I want to judge them or, or respond to them based on their actions, even though I ask God to base it on his goodness and his grace and his mercy for me and not really include my actions or factor them into the decision. Does that make sense? So how do I... God, help me. Like, and this is like, uh, if, if you're religious, this is, this is our kind of, uh, our, our, our movement, our prayer, our, our whatever. God, help me to treat them. Help me to wear love in this way towards these people in the same way that I want you to wear love towards me. Now, there's a quick off-ramp for those of you who like are not religious. Like, you're not, you know, this, this whole God thing, I'm still kicking the tires of this thing. I'm not even sure. If I'm, if I'm held in some sort of divine accountability to any sort of, uh, of being. So for, for you, then you get like kind of evaluate and take or pass on this, this sort of thing because you were never let off the proverbial hook from a spiritual, you know, 
standpoint. So therefore you don't have to pay it forward. Now, there are all kinds of other things that you've read along the way and books that you've, th- you've read and, and you listen to some podcasts about um, uh, the, the, the brain and how it works and, and uh, forgiveness and, and, and overcoming pain or you went through therapy or whatever and they, and they offered insights that were really helpful. Things like uh, the uh, talking through the psychological effects, uh, which are very, very real about the, why you should uh, forgive that person or why you should move past this or not let this sort of thing define you. Your motivations are gonna be different, but uh, you know, essentially we get to the same spot where we realize holding on to the, what they did to me long-term only hurts us. Holding on to this and not letting go of this and choosing to dwell in this and choosing not to forgive or not to let go or to continue to let to define us is only hurtful for us. And that revenge is an absolute waste of time. Right? That's, not like a, that's not necessarily a religious uh, concept. At some point, you realize the immaturity of revenge. You did something to me. I want it back for you. And it's kind of like when you were 12 and you, you, you got in that like, punching fight with your sister. She hit you, and so you hit back. But when you hit back, you just a little bit harder just to like, teach her a lesson a little bit, to be like, hey, you started this. I'm ending this. Do you know what I mean? Nobody else? Just me. Okay. Um, fine. Whatever. That's fine. Um, we, we do this in this way and we realize revenge is this waste of time, even though there is something in us that wants to push back and wants to do this. We've all heard the phrase, to triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory when evil is returned. The first is when it happens. The second is when I feel justified in doing something back to you because of what you've done to me. Perhaps there's a different way. Perhaps all of those motivations are enough for you. That's great. But what I want to say in the course of this series over the next couple of weeks is that if you're a Christian, like it goes a little bit further than this. There's a, an added angle. There's a, there's an, uh, a different pathway proposed by Jesus that I think calls us to something greater. And I do want to offer a qualifier. Like uh, this is all, this treads on the ground, a lot of counseling and therapy and all that kind of stuff. And I, I am the first one to make sure that you know that I am not a licensed counselor and I'm worse than an unlicensed counselor, right? I'm not a good counselor at all. I'm not, I, I don't do that kind of stuff. But what I want to offer you and if you'll spend a few weeks with me uh, through this, we're going to look at some texts from, the, from scripture, from biblical authors who have kind of dealt with this sort of thing. And we're gonna look at a spiritual, a, a, a potential uh, alternative to kind of just get over it or you know, release it or, or whatever. I, I think that there's something more involved in that. So um, to start that off, I wanna talk about how uh, from the very beginning, the uh, pathway that I just mentioned, the non-religious way, was actually a kind of a pseudo-religious way. In the Old Testament, um, what we have is the very first five books uh, of the Old Testament called the Torah or the Law. Uh, these would be, this is how the Jewish people did, you know, decided this is how we're going to live. It was given because um, it, the story goes that they had spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And when you come out of that, when God leads them out of that, he realizes, I have to retrain you at how to be a civilized people group. Like, all you know is a slavery type of mindset, but we're calling you out of that into something different. So send Moses up on Mount Sinai. We're gonna start with these 10 basic commandments and these things are gonna expand and expand and what you get in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy specifically is a retelling of an explication or a playing out of all of these different things so that you know what it means to live in community. And one of those things uh, comes in the form of the 10 commandments, right? And, and we know that as a society, it's really helpful if we all live with the understanding that we're gonna not lie, cheat, or murder people, right? Those are like 
It's kind of a lower bar, but it's a bar that's necessary uh, for us to live together, to not bear false testimony against one another, to not lie in the court of law, to not attach things to them that aren't true about them. If we're gonna live justly, if we're gonna seek justice as as a society, then those are all important pieces to play in all of this. And then Jesus comes along. So the, the Old Testament kind of plays out. Uh, Israel goes into the promised land. The story goes, uh, they begin to kind of lose their sight of, uh, of what it means to be a special people called by God. God sends in Assyria in the north, Babylon in, in the south. They take them into exile. Then they send them back from exile after a few years there. Uh, and then there's like this intertestamental period where they're trying to figure out what it means to be, be the people of God. And then the New Testament shows up on the scene and the character of Jesus is introduced. And when he comes on the scene, he's preaching and teaching, but as he does so, he utilizes things of the Old Testament and their old way in the Hebrew scriptures, but then he attaches new things to them. He'll say oftentimes things like this, "Uh, you've heard it said, but I tell you this. You've heard it said, and then he'll quote something from Old Testament law. Here's how we've kind of lived as a nation. And then I'm telling you this, and oftentimes what he's saying in the new includes the old, but it kind of supersedes it. It's, there's a new ethic that's involved in it that doesn't deny the old. In fact, it fulfills it. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So what I'm telling you, um, when I say love your neighbor as yourself, that includes not lying, cheating, or murdering. It's really hard to love somebody and still murder them. Does that make sense? I think it does, right? So there's a, a higher calling that includes all of these things. And one of the ones that he does is you've heard it said that, you know, you, um, you've heard it said eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You've heard it said that when somebody hurts you, it is just for there to be uh, compensation, equal compensation back at them. Not necessarily that you go and do this, but like the community as a whole holds them in justice and, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth thing. You've heard it said, but I'm, and, and that's a very popular way to live, right? That's a very kind of baseline government. You don't have to be a religious government or a theocracy to, uh, to have that kind of a, 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 a pathway. Um, but he's going, I, I'm calling you to something more. You've heard it said this, but... I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which we've heard this. And again, it feels great. It looks great on paper. If you cross-stitched it, it would probably look good on the wall, but it it doesn't actually play out well in real life. There are a few things that Jesus says in our life that sounds appealing and it sounds great. It just doesn't work in real life because you don't work with Carl and Carl's a jerk, and he can even be an a-hole sometimes. And so therefore, I find it really difficult to um, love Carl in the way I put up with Carl. I don't have to be friends with him. We don't have to go on vacations together. We don't need to talk about kids and dreams and back-to-school stuff and everything else. It's enough for me to put up with Carl. That should be good enough for you, Jesus. And yet when we read, when we come in and we go, well, okay, well, we're really gonna gather together on Sundays and try and live out the ethics of what a guy named Jesus taught because we feel like he was like this divine being that had a unique take on life and perhaps knows the best way to live. When we come across that, we cannot put it in the category of unrealistic ethics, an ethos that is really unattainable, something that sounds good but doesn't play out well in 2019. It perhaps deserves a little bit more than that for us. Paul hears this, knows this about Jesus, knows this about these ethics, and begins to write letters to different churches. Most of his letters begin with an explication of what it means to be the people of God. And then in the back half of the letter, here's what it looks like played out in real life. And he does the same thing in Romans. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, we read this. 
here's his scenario. Kind of, I think, playing on this idea of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. Evil is going to happen. It's not a question of, of if, but when, right? You live in this broken world. Bad things are going to happen to you. You have an opportunity. And, and, um, uh, and this would be a very, very uh, religiously, almost neutral thing. Try not to be overcome by the things that have happened to you. That's very therapeutic. That's very baseline. That's like, okay, good. But overcome evil with good. Here's his little ethic for the Roman church. When bad things happen to you, A, don't be overcome by it. And secondly, and probably more importantly, overcome it with good. Don't let it beat you down, but also respond with grace. Respond with the kind of grace that you would want given to you based on your personal history or whatever. This is him trying to answer the question I have from that people may be asking, I've been hurt. What am I supposed to do with this hurt that I have? I'm dealing with this evil that somebody had done to me, this abuse, this whatever, this thing. What am I supposed to do with this? And he would say, overcome it with good. The central question is not whether to remember. Of course, you're gonna remember it. It would be, only, it would be foolish to say, choose to kind of forget about this. And yet we know that that's the pathway that some people choose, right? You ever been a friend with somebody and, and, and five years, 10 years into the relationship, you hear about some story and it, they, they're not the ones that told you, it's their spouse that eventually says, well, yeah, but David went through this, back, this thing back when his, his dad a few years and you're like, I, didn't, I never knew that. People try and hide these things sometimes. They think ignorance is bliss. They think I, nobody needs to know this. I'm gonna tuck this away. I don't think that this needs to affect me any longer. I can get past this. I can be the kind of dad to my kids that my dad was never to me or my mom was never to me or whatever the case may be. And we try and hide these things. The goal is not to not remember. That's not only ineffective, it's just bad advice. The pathway, I think, if you are going to take Paul at his word when he says overcome evil with good is to remember it but to remember it in a certain way. The central question is, in light of the teachings of Jesus and in light of Paul's admonition to overcome evil with good, how do I remember rightly? How do I remember rightly? It's not forget about it, get past it. It's remember it, but doing it in a right way. And I, and I, I don't wanna define rightly for you yet because I think over the next couple of weeks, we are, there's gonna be some different facets, some different perspectives on what that means and what that looks like. That's gonna be the goal of the series. I want you to remember, but when, when you remember what happened to you, there is a way that does it that helps you, not debilitates you. There is a way that is fruitful and not fruitless. There is a way that is healing and not something that simply re-injures you or brings this back up and all of a sudden now I'm in a dark place again in this way. And whatever rightly ends up meaning that cannot refer just to what is right for the wrong person as an individual, AKA you or me or whatever, there's more implications than just that. It, mean, it must mean also what is right for those who have wronged and for the larger community as a whole. Now, when we say there's an, a remembering rightly is also good for the person who wronged you, an immediate reaction for a lot of us is, what would I, why would I care about him? Why would I care about her? Why would I care about the person who did this stuff to me? And the response is surely that it is the wrongdoer whom God calls me to love. It is the wrongdoer who Jesus had in mind when he said, love your enemies, not like this ambiguous general people who don't like you, like specifically this person. 
And if my wounded self passed on to my memory injuries that he or she did not inflict or exaggerated those that he did or she, she did, I would be wronging him, irrespective of the fact that it was he who in the past had overwhelmingly wronged me. In other words, the way that we can remember them can also be injurious to them because we can exaggerate what they did to us or say things that this is what they said to me even though they didn't actually say it. And based on our memory, we can wrong them in the process of remembering. That's why it's so important to remember rightly. More on that next week because I think that that's a real, like that's an unpack of Pandora's box sort of thing. But why is any of this important? Because I don't think it's enough simply to remember that something happened. I think the next step and the real important critical juncture in that is to remember rightly what has happened to you. Now, we live in a world where we are uh, taught to remember things almost as soon as they happen, especially things that are like tragic and like lots of pain and suffering involved. Um, we, we never, we don't wanna forget. That's why events occur in our world in our nation's history. And we're like, never forget. And we build memorials and we write books about some things. In fact, I put some dates on here that I wanna walk us through that are gonna be very, very, some, we're gonna start with some basic ones. I learned this from Dave. You seem to like when Dave did this, so I'm gonna do this because you clap for him. So I'm working on it. So uh, date number one, September 11th right? A, a, a popular day, and we all know what happened. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to say it because we know it. The Twin Towers, right? We, we, and as soon as it happened, every year ever since, typically somewhere in our paper, usually on the front page, there's a little slogan that says, never forget, never forget, never forget, right? Or you watch some show and you see, and that's part of the show because it became like part of our meta narrative as a nation is like this now, this war on terror and this, this new um, uh, fighting with the, 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 between the East and the West and all that kind of stuff. So there's, that's a big thing. All right. So that's, that's an easy one. That's whatever. All right. December 7th. What happened on December 7th? Never forget Pearl Harbor day, right? We're getting a little further and further away from that. So it's a little bit more work. How about this one? November 11th, November 11th. Anybody? Armistice day. This is the day that the treaty was signed in world war one. Doesn't quite like resonate as much for us. And yet imagine being uh, imagine the, the death counts and all of the emotions involved in the very first world war and all of that finally coming to an end. And I, I know that like Memorial Day and Veterans Day are always remembered, but those kind of days vary. I'm just talking about very, very particular days. November 11th, Armistice Day. May 8th, anybody May 8th? Somebody in first service goes, my birthday, right? And I was like, yeah, but that's not like super cool, but like, I don't know. Um, it's VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. This was when Germany finally said, all right, we're done, World War II, uh, we, we surrender. About a week after Adolf Hitler uh, has died, and they finally give up the ghost, and all of a sudden, the, like, the whole world reverses course from the past uh, five to seven years of, of absolute war, I can't imagine. How about November 18th? Anybody remember November 18th? I'll, I'll give you a year on this one, 2002, November 18th, 2002. This is the day that Kylie broke up with me when we were in college <laughs> at the Rose Hill Starbucks. She told me she didn't want it to continue for a while. And I was like, cool, yeah, yeah, absolutely, me too. And uh, then I cried myself to sleep last night, or that, that night, excuse me. And uh, not last night. <clears throat> last night was good, it's fine. Uh, and then three weeks later, we, we got back together. So anyways, that, that uh, may not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me. I remember that one. So. Uh, not just dates. Again, uh, memorials. You drive south on 395 right before you head out of town. 
Uh, we've got the uh, leftovers of the World Trade Center there memorialized for us to, again, never forget. We read books about things. We read um, historical biographies or autobiographies or whatever about people who did great things. We want to remember them. Um, I read a great book recently about the Holocaust and the six million Jews in there. And, and uh, Eli Wiesel is this author who writes brilliantly about this, hoping like to, to flood the market with what he has so that his people never have to uh, endure that again. But not his people, just humanity in general. Here's what he says. We remember Auschwitz and all that is symbolized because we believe that in spite of the past and its horrors, the world is worthy of salvation and salvation like redemption can be found only in memory. So the admonition over and over again is remember, remember, remember. Never forget, never forget, never forget. Remember, remember. And yet my question to you is that, is it enough to just simply remember something? Is it enough to remember it? Because I think, coming back to this idea, I, I think that it's important to remember something in a certain way. And it's not just remembering that it happened. Think of it in a personal level for you. You can remember something happened, but that doesn't help you get through it, past it, or grow from it. Just remembering that can happen can be also injurious to kind of you as a person, right? And the reason that we remember things uh, uh, is basically fourfold. One, for healing. The reason why we remember is because of healing. Uh, we want it to be a healing thing. We want to relive these emotions. We want to do it in the company of somebody who cares about us and maybe have some insights to us. And we, we don't want to live, uh, we, we don't want to die alone with this thing. We want to talk about it and we want to grow from it. Uh, we want acknowledgement, number two. We, we remember things because of acknowledgement. We want, to, we want to make sure that they know that we know that this happened. And if... Uh, if, if it goes unacknowledged, if they hurt me and abused me in the past and then they kind of never own up to it, it's almost as if it's happening again. Like the fact that you don't see this is also hurtful. Solidarity and protection, those are the last two. We, we wanna make sure that we're not alone in this. Solidarity means that there's, uh, I, I don't think I'm the only one. And with the advent of social media and the way that it is today, I mean, um, think about how many times uh, things have now come out or on, a, on a monthly, weekly, whatever basis uh, for, for healing, for acknowledgement, and to let people know that you're not alone. If you're going through this kind of thing, uh, please know that you're not alone. And then protection. I, want, I don't want this to happen to me, and I don't want this to happen to the people that I love again. So therefore, this message needs to come out. We, we, we say all these things. We remember for these reasons. And yet, even in light of these things, we can realize that this can go one of two ways. This can be healing. It can be a, a good form of acknowledgement. It can be solidarity. It can be protection, but it can also go sideways for us. There are people who can, in the course of remembering something come out and it not be a healing thing. All it can do is restir up these fresh wounds and then they never get past it. It can be very, very debilitating because it's not a form of healing for them. It's There's a right, there seems to be a right and a wrong way to do it. And if we all we do is simply remember it can be less than healing. It can be less than acknowledgement. The problem with that one is it can bolster a victim's self-perceptions and unjust demands. Instead of generating solidarity with victims, it can breed indifference and reinforce cycles of violence. And instead of simply protecting a person, memory may wound another. We've seen people who, through the course of uh, re remembering something, then use that as motivation to go enact that on somebody else as well. So the point of all of that is simply this. The memory of wrong suffered is from a moral standpoint, dangerously undetermined. 
morally, it's not necessarily good to remember. It's good to remember rightly, in a right way. There is a way of remembering that is preferred over just recollecting information. There is a way of doing that that actually results in growth, in healing, in acknowledgement, in solidarity, and in protection. But it's not necessarily just enough to talk about it. There are more tools and resources to help us get there properly to take Paul at his word, to overcome evil with good, to treat others in the same way that we wanna be treated, to, over, uh, to, to, to base our perceptions of them based on the goodness of the grace that has been given to us as opposed to the actual physical consequences of their actions. It's not simply enough to remember. We must push to remember rightly. So for the next couple of weeks, we are gonna try and define what rightly is because I care too much about you to let you just live in this middle ground of I should remember something because I don't want it to go awry on you because from a moral standpoint, it's dangerously undetermined. This is how we learn to wear love to those who have hurt us. And Miroslav Volf wrote a fantastic book called Exclusion and Embrace. And his quote, when it comes to kind of like, how do we react to all of this is, if you want justice and nothing but justice, you will inevitably end up with injustice. If all you're about is justice, I want justice. I always want justice, justice, justice. It's very defensive. And eventually it leads to injustice. It's a power dynamic structure that goes awry. If you want justice without injustice, you must want love. You must want love. And that takes the form of pushing to aggressively remember rightly what's taking place. So my closing question to you, and I wanna leave you with this as we, this is your homework for the week, is where do I or where do you need to make an attempt to remember rightly something? What is it? What are you hanging on to? What's something that as I'm talking about it, you're playing this over in your mind? Who's the person? What's the scenario? What's the situation? Have you just shut it up and tried to ignore it for a while? Is it something that there are things that kind of spark its recollection? And uh, has it been something that you've uh, taken and been able to kind of overcome identity with or it's inspired you to do something greater or it's inspired you to do something about it so that your kids never have to experience that kind of thing? What do you need to remember rightly? What have you settled for simply remembering when the pathway that Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, calls you to do something a little bit more uncomfortable than simply just remembering? Where is it? What does it look like? What are the emotions involved with that? And how do we do this rightly? That's what we're gonna talk about for the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. Father, This is not easy stuff. This is incredibly difficult because everything within us wants to push back and uh, like get defensive about self and kind of like, you know, just circle up and, 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 not, and not have to deal with this because we feel like we've already done with this. We're, we're, we're past this. It's not affecting us any longer and, and it's whatever. And um, I pray that you would help guide our thoughts and our conversations this week uh, towards 
remembering rightly, offering the grace that we so desperately ask you for, ask our future spouse for, or spouse for, or family for, or whatever, uh, and yet for some reason we can tend to discount it when it comes to those who have hurt us, I pray that we would instead recognize that blind spot in our life and begin to at least ask the question, if not come to a, we're not asking to come to a resolution yet, we'll work on that, but at least begin to ask the question, perhaps I need to revisit this. Perhaps I need to push towards understanding what it would look like to remember rightly. So give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, the courage to act on it in your name, amen.